0: You're listening to the all-new Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.
1: Hey, good evening. Uh, Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm here every Sunday evening until 9 p.m. Let me tell you this. Have you ever just had one of those days where you really wish you could just have a do-over? Like, not that anything tragic happened, but everything seems to go wrong and you just want to do it all over again. Have a fresh start. So... Tell me if this has ever happened to you. You're online, you're on the computer, you are perhaps filling out a form. Maybe you're purchasing a train ticket, bus ticket, airline ticket. Uh, Maybe you're doing some online shopping and you're putting in your credit card information or filling out an application or a survey. You're taking your time, you're filling in all of those little tabs. You you click the next page, click the next page. In my case, I was trying to do a web check-in for a US flight, which is a couple of extra pages. They want your passport number, they want the address of where you're staying. So, you know, you're inputting all of your information, you're digging out your wallet, you're getting a credit card, you're getting your passport, you're getting the information that they want. You get to the very end where it's like submit, and it and you see that little wheel and it turns and it turns and it turns. And then you get error message, try again. So you think, ah, maybe I took too long. Like, maybe it timed out because I had to go get my wallet and my credit card and my passport. So now I have it all in front of me. I'm going to do this again, and I'll do it very quickly. So you fill in all the tabs again. You look up the address of the hotel you're staying. You put in your passport number and the expiration date. You get to the end again. You click Submit. And it says, error. Please try again. So this was my morning, and you're going to think I'm an idiot because I tried to do my web check-in six times, six times in a row, and I kept getting this error message. Anyway, I'm still not checked in online, so I will do the, I'll do it the old school way tomorrow when I check into my uh, flight to Chicago. Then I decide, you know what, I'm forget this. I, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, I'm going to have some soup. I'm going to heat up that last little bit of broccoli soup that I made that's in my fridge. So I heat it up. I pick up the bowl like by the sides because it's hot. And I carry it from my counter to my table. And I, this is the freakiest thing. The entire bottom of my soup bowl actually just fell out. Like it fell out in a disc. It was like it was two pieces, but it's not because it's a bowl. It is one piece, and it was like someone just sawed straight across the bottom of it, and I put a picture up. It's on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, at Pei Chen, if you want to see it. And then you know what bugged me is everyone's comments. It's so beautiful. It's like art. No, you know what? It's not beautiful, because do you know what it's like to clean up broccoli soup off your floor when it has sprayed across your entire 500-square-foot condo? Yeah. Anyway... I know I didn't have the worst day for everyone, but (laughs) it was just that day where I'm like, and now I have nothing to eat and my bowl is broken and there's soup on everything. Anyway, the soup was really good uh, when I had it earlier. Um, Remembrance Day is on Tuesday. I'm curious to know if any of you are attending Remembrance Day ceremonies. You can text in 71010. Let me know. Um, if you are, uh, why it's important to you. Uh, if you're not, I'm not going to judge you. A lot of people have things they have to do. They have to work. They have to get the kids to school. Um, there's a lot of reasons why you can't. So uh, let me know, 7-10-10, if you might be attending uh, a, rem- a Remembrance Day ceremony of uh, some sort coming up on Tuesday. Hopefully you have a chance to give it a poppy before then. I keep hearing all these rumors that uh, they might be running out. Uh, coming up tonight, great show, At 8.30, I'm going to talk to someone about the world's most famous bear turning 100. Do you know what bear I'm talking about? Do you have any idea? The Winnie the Pooh stories were based on a real-life bear purchased by a Canadian soldier. I'm not sure if everyone knows that. You can also check out a new exhibit that tells the story about the Canadian connection behind Winnie the Pooh. So I'll actually talk to the soldier's great-granddaughter about the mementos from her family's history and also the free exhibit that is running for the next month, so you can go and check it out. Also, invites are already being sent out for holiday gatherings and parties, even if you think it's too soon. Make sure you host an event that's memorable in a good way. I'll have entertaining tips and uh, wine-pairing suggestions for you later on in the show. Now, at what point do you stop using your barbecue? Maybe about now when the temperature starts to maybe hover around the freezing mark and we see flurries and awful things like that. Well, my first guest wants you to grill all year round. I have Weber grill specialist, Michael P. Clive. He's here to encourage us all to be grilling masters because that is what you are essentially
2: yeah yeah well right. you're pretty much getting in the making <laughs> uh you know you'll never know just about everything when it comes to food and uh the nuances perhaps in grilling but uh and you know there' it's never too cold to grill it's just not uh, you know it's uh, I have to say with that I as an avid griller mm-hmm uh, I only get more excited as the cold weather comes. Uh, it's it's you know in the winter time it's the first path that I'm shoveling to the barbecue. Uh, I dress it's up. It's also a heat source. And it is a heat <laughs> source, and it's I don't know what it what it is. Pay maybe it's that smell of um, that crisp snow that's that's on the ground mm-hmm. and that crisp air, and then that that scent of smoke maybe coming off your grill.
1: I love the idea of um, of winter. Grill, barbecuing I like to eat it I don't necessarily want to stand outside in the cold and mm. do it but I'm amazed um by the number of people who actually see barbecuing as just a summer thing so mm-hmm. and then the, the it's always like the hardcore barbecue people yeah. who grill all year round so you're going to help us with a few things throughout the show you're going to talk about um I guess some great grilling ideas also if people want to have a tailgating party oh uh, yeah in time for, oh. what is it, the Grey Cup? Is that the big game that's coming up? That's one.
2: There's a lot of great games. Uh, I was watching some games today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, for sure, we could talk a little bit about tailgating, um, talk about winter grilling, talk about grilling I'm, all the time.
1: I'm sure there's a lot of mistakes that uh, people make that you're familiar with because you have probably had a lot of like trial and error sort of experiences
2: yes your best learning is making your uh, those mistakes Mm -hmm. but uh you know what i i see when it comes to barbecuing i see and i say it all the time looking (laughs) isn't cooking and so when i see that lid coming up every two minutes (laughs) all that valuable heat escaping underneath that that shroud
1: yes oh
2: looking isn't cooking so that you know that's just one I like that yeah
1: um also, I uh, want to let listeners know that they can text in a question. If you've got a question for Weber Grill Specialist oh, oh yeah. Michael B. Live, text yeah. in 71010. You can give us a call as well, uh, 416-872-1010, or star talk, that's star 8255, on your cell phone. Uh, if you've got any questions about winter grilling, why your burgers are dry and hard as a puck, maybe he can help you figure all of that out. Um, What's your favorite thing to grill?
2: Ooh, it changes. Does it? Yeah. Is it like
1: changes based on the season, time of year, or?
2: Well, you know, for a while there, I was, I was, uh, you know, inspired by all those great pit masters and and trying to perfect some great, you know, smoked brisket and and smoked pork. Smoking was sort of the thing I was was trying to capture. There's so many uh, little tips and tricks within smoking, mm-hmm. um, but these days, actually, it's it's kind of um, my mantra is whatever you can do in your kitchen, you can do on a grill. So. Uh, these days it's, I, I made a great buttered chicken, if you can imagine. Utilize, really? yeah, well, you know, it's the, the the spices that I took to the chicken, yeah. we grilled it and got flavor that way. Uh, lots of good grill marks, so lots of great flavor come from the grill marks. And then, you know, utilizing the side burner, creating that, that rich tomatoey thick sauce, very rich and decadent.
1: What kind of grill do you have? Because I imagine that you have something that's really big and fancy.
2: Uh, well, actually the one that I, I have a couple, I have a few grills. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have charcoal and I have gas cart grills, but the one that I kind of go to gravitate towards is a, is a Genesis. It's a Mm -hmm. Weber Genesis, but it's a Weber Genesis 330. So it's got a side burner. It's doesn't, it's not all tricked out with a rotisserie. It's not all, it doesn't have, um, you know, lots of fancy bells and whistles, lights and all the rest.
1: We don't have to have the fanciest one to, to do a good job. Not at all. I had a little hibachi on a, a tiny little uh condo deck for 2 years. Yeah. It was it was rusty but hey, it worked.
2: <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, uh, and you know the fact is that you were you were using charcoal and that is <laughs> back to basics, old school. The I don't know what it is when I smell charcoal in the air, it makes mm-hmm. me think of a, you know being in a backyard with my grandfather or something. Yeah. It is Yeah. It
1: reminds me of my childhood, it reminds me of camping.
2: Yeah, and you know, it, that is what we find. Uh, I mean, I could bore you with statistics, <laughs> but I will tell you that there we're seeing a rise in people mm-hmm. wanting to get out back and do charcoal cooking, grilling. It's,
1: it's so. got a nice flavor. So you're going to stick around. We're going to talk a bit more about uh, grilling tips. So again, if you want to uh, ask Michael P. Clive a question, oh, yes. you can text in at 71010 or call 416-872-1010. We're also going to talk about winter grilling tips because maybe a couple of things that you should do differently than in the summer. And also, you know what we should address as well is because there are people who will just want to pack up their barbecues for the winter. Mm. Uh, maybe you can give us some tips on how to do that properly and okay. uh, make our lives just a little bit easier. you're listening to The Pay Chen Show live every Sunday night here on News Talk 1010 from 8 until 9 p.m. If you want to catch podcasts of the show, uh, PayChen.com. You can always go there, listen to previous shows. And still to come at 8.30, the connection between the world's most famous bear and a Canadian soldier heading off to war. We've got all of that coming up. Uh, and my guest, Michael P. Clive, is going to stick around. Hello. With uh, Grill master that's a pretty sweet title, I have <laughs> to say. It's pretty amazing. Yes.
0: <laughs> this is the all-new Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.
1: Welcome back to the show. Uh, my guest right now is Michael P. Clive. He is the Weber Grill Specialist. He's also playing a little air guitar. Bass. Bass, air bass. <laughs> hey, what does the P stand for? Uh,
2: K? No. Um, <laughs> it should. Perf- uh, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick.
1: Ah. And was there another Michael Clive? Is that why you put the P in there? So.
2: I think it was just years of watching too much Family Ties. and. <laughs> thinking that Alex P. Keaton or Michael J. Fox was just You're awesome. You're like,
1: you know what? That is cool. I'm going to put a letter in there, and then it'll be mysterious because no one will actually know what it stands
2: for. It's work, though. I'll tell you. There's a, a rhythm to it. And there It rolls is. off the tongue.
1: It, it, it does. It's I, I like it a lot. I never want to say your name without the P in the middle. Oh. Uh, okay, so we're talking about barbecuing, specifically winter grilling as well. Now we're getting into the colder weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people only grill during the summer months because it's nice. that's when it's nice to be outside. When it gets cold, they don't really want to venture outside. I have to say, though, I do have a few friends who um, don't mind bundling up and going outside to barbecue, and I think it makes perfect sense because barbecued food tastes delicious. Mm. Why limit yourself to only eating that six months of the year?
2: Absolutely. The flavor that you would get off a grill is unlike uh, the flavor you would get, say, just searing something in a pan. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you speak of your friend bundling up. Let's make sure... Tip number one. Tip number one. Make sure that scarf is not just hangling, hanging <laughs> all over the place. You know, oh, you don't want to make right. sure that it gets entangled uh, or, uh, you know, touching anything too close to those hot elements. So you want to make sure that you're you're tightly bundled up.
1: Uh, well, because that's... Not something you're worried about in the summer. Yeah, you know, things, you know. Dang, tassels dangling, sure. scarves, whatever. Sure. Uh, if you have a question that you want to ask, Michael, you can text us 71010 or give us a shout 416-872-1010. Maybe uh, there's just something about grilling that you haven't quite perfected. Perhaps he can help you out.
2: Perhaps. Or maybe people are waiting for me to give out some relationship advice. Maybe.
1: Are you good at relationship advice?
2: No, no. Let's stick it. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Let's just keep it to the grilling. And I will say. Let's keep it safe when we're winter grilling. Let's mm-hmm. make sure, like I was joking about it, it earlier, one of the first pathways I shovel to is that grill, maybe not my driveway, uh, but let's also make sure it's free of ice and that you're not slipping around on mm-hmm. an ice rink in front of your grill while you're trying to achieve winter grilling. You know, so it may seem like some obvious stuff, but yeah. you want to make sure that your grill is maybe five feet away from the 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 wall of your 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 building, whether it's your house or Whatever it is, your yeah. garage. You want to make sure that the, the grill is not too close to uh, the building. You should see how many backyards I see where you could you could tell yes. a barbecue lived right next to really? that that house. And uh, <laughs> you see a
1: little outline. Yeah, there's of it?
2: yeah some sort of smoke ring that yes. you would see in food. You right. see on on this. Well, a lot of work. people
1: do push them up against the house.
2: Yeah, and you shouldn't. Oh, uh, so, I did know that. Yeah, well, you know, you know how about this when a when a gas cart grill is filling up with all that heat there's venting on a barbecue to make sure that it doesn't get too hot mm-hmm. you know like hot hot is great yes. but there has to be some venting and where does it, where does that venting usually live that venting would be on the back of your grill and so if you've got say an old wood home say something in halifax oh yes you then you're I talking know, thermal e- thermal vent
1: i didn't even think about that yeah
2: so you want to make sure you're safe and that you're uh, you know without the ice and right. that you've got a nice pathway and then you want to compensate for the cold temperatures that are outside and so you want to maybe uh jack up the heat turn it more, up a little bit more a lot more and then yeah. gauge it down from there it's kind of like when i bring a pot of water to boil like if i'm uh, if i'm blanching vegetables i'll make sure that the pot comes to a boil and then i'll drop it to a simmer as opposed mm-hmm. to just sort of trying to achieve a simmer dialing up a number 4 so
1: let's just talk about prep yeah. then before we even throw anything on the grill we heat up the barbecue this is the thing for how long i had a friend who would s- turn it on like an like I know you preheat an oven as well. I have a friend who would turn her barbecue on for like 20 minutes. Is that too long?
2: No, no. no. What?
1: I said it was too long.
2: In the wintertime, I mean, yeah, my barbecue heats up very, very quickly, particularly in the summer months, spring and fall. But in the wintertime, I want to make sure, you know, that just because the thermometer on my cook box says it's 450, I I need to know that the cook grates, the grill grates, are also going to be that same temperature. So- I really err on the side of more time to achieve that temperature. And then when it comes time to and I know I'm, I'm we're dancing around the prepping part, but mm-hmm. when it comes time to put that item onto that grill, again, close the lid, trap it in. You wouldn't open up your oven door every 2 minutes to see the roast that's right. that's in your grill. And so, you know, particularly if you're cooking indirect, we can talk about that, direct versus indirect. Mm-hmm. Indirect would be like if I'm doing something over 20 minutes, a roast. Yes. I would do that indirect. So, not directly over top of the elements, would I have that item of food. It would, mm-hmm. I'd have it jacked up on one side, close the lid. Now we're, you know, maximizing the heat that's in the cook box and everything's kind of cooking in a normal time. I can't express it enough how much heat you're losing. Every time we open? Yeah, yeah every but time.
1: You just need, but sometimes you have delicate things and you need to look and you just want to poke it.
2: You have to trust your thermometer and your timing and your instinct. Hey, I know you can you're tell, an what avid a terrible griller. griller I no, am. <laughs> I don't think you are. I don't think you are. But.
1: All right. So, how about this? How often should we
2: flip? Well, that all depends. <clears throat> excuse me, on what it is that we're preparing. If it is a steak, mm-hmm. say one inch thick, mm-hmm. I would only maybe in the wintertime, time I would give that three minutes aside for a medium rare. But the most you know, grabbing tip I can give you here would be. Flip it to a new part of your grate, one that hasn't just had a steak living on it. Uh, You're putting it to an area that hasn't lost all that energy. It hasn't been sucked up into a protein or vegetables or whatever. So when you flip it, flip it to a new part, and you're going to get those awesome grill marks. Mm, Yes. And we hear it all the time, caramelization, caramelization. Well, guess what? Grill marks are caramelization, and that is huge flavor. So. So
1: when you flip that steak, you're not flipping it directly onto the part where it was just sitting. You're flipping it to another part of the grill, like right next to that spot.
2: Word up.
1: Oh, right. I understand this. I'm starting to talk like a pro. Yeah. Should we cut into the meat that we're grilling, whether it be a burger, whether it be a steak? No. Should we be cutting into it to see if it's cooked all the way through? Well, some of us are very scared of eating raw meat.
2: Yeah, no, don't. You are you end up, like, losing precious juices. It's mm-hmm. kind of up there with don't be squishing your burger. Uh,
1: <gasps> okay, you're not supposed to squish your burger because my friend does it uh-huh. to so that um, a bit of the juices fall and the it flares up, uh-huh. and then that he's like that's how you like caramelize it, and you you want that fire on it for that split second. Yep. So he always squishes it a little bit.
2: But then you'll also have that other person who will argue that what you're also doing is squeezing out the precious juices uh, that come from the fats and the natural moisture and, say, any other flavoring agents that you've brought to the party, like minced onion. You're squeezing all that out, and at the end of the day, you might have a drier mm-hmm. burger experience than you would if – you know what I like? We I, argue I, I love lo- this. I love the drippings. Yeah. I love them hitting the flavorizer bars and then enveloping my my burger with more – smoke flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like with the drippings that come off the burger anyway, I'm getting that. So your friend yes. is very uh, an astute griller. Uh, <laughs> but, um yeah you know, there's all sorts of ways to get from A to Z.
1: So in an ideal world, we're not squishing down yeah. on the meat and we're not cutting into it.
2: That's right. We're not flipping a whole lot. We're not with When it comes to burgers, we're not over flipping. We're not looking, you know, it goes again with the looking isn't cooking. Uh, and then again, with a steak, we're flipping it to a new part of the grate, uh, when we're doing things that are sort of like roasts, I, I do an amazing roast beef on my, my grill. Again, it's all indirect. So we, we talked about it briefly there mm-hmm. where you were jacking up the heat up on the left side and we've got that roast just sitting there and I can close the lid and walk away. Uh, I mean, most barbecues, uh, that I work off of have that thermometer yeah. and I trust that. And again, timing. Not to mention, there's so many apps in this world uh, where (laughs) they offer so much information. Weber has one uh, where you can go and get a fantastic app where you just, even if you're stunned on what to prepare tonight on your grill, it can help you even decide that just through time and what ingredients you have. And it's pretty awesome.
1: Now, what about the people who do want to put away their grill? The winter, maybe it's even up at the cottage. Um, and all they did was they threw a cover over top of it. Is there anything you should be doing before you actually cover it up and you know throw it into the garage or wherever it may be?
2: Well, you know, if you know in your heart of hearts that you're not going to be tempted by the flavor and the aroma of winter (laughs) grilling, if uh push comes to shove and you are going to put that away for the season, um, then I encourage you to clean it like you would any of your indoor appliances, you know, pay. Mm. That grease management system, the drip tray yes. that we've all seen, that needs to be addressed.
1: Not everyone knows where it is or that it, it even exists. Yeah. Just saying that some people don't.
2: Well, we need to put lots of importance behind the cleaning mm-hmm. of the drip pan.
1: A lot. Well, you know what? But most people, I I think most people probably just decide to put the cover on and think, that's fine. I don't know that a lot of people clean their barbecue
2: so before- important. The so, let me tell you, you know, you clean it out. You're not going to have any sort of uh, infestation of, uh, say, outdoor rodents. Ugh. You're uh, you're also staying on top of uh, not having a thermal event. Not to mention, I mean, depending on where you're when putting... When you say
1: thermal event, what do you mean by that? Like yes. a fire?
2: Well, how about this? If you don't stay on top of cleaning your barbecue, and I'm talking throughout the summertime as well, yeah. especially if you do it often, mm-hmm. if that's your go-to device, um, yeah, you need to go underneath... Particularly in our grills, it's as simple as opening up a door and looking down there. Where the grease drippings go, they collect. And if you let that thing fill up too many times and Mm -hmm. your cookbox gets up to 450, 500, 550 degree temperatures... I mean, do you really want all that grease that's been living down there to ignite? You don't. I feel like
1: the answer answer is no.
2: I feel like I'm getting all dark and gloomy. But the idea is really just like I would clean my oven. I'll clean my barbecue. Mm -hmm. And particularly if I'm putting it away, I want to come back to a a great grilling experience in the spring. And so I'm going to want a nice clean appliance. Let's look at it like an appliance.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, if I have something explode in my oven, I clean it up. Uh, If I have something explode in the barbecue, I might just think it'll burn off the next time I turn it on. Um, Let's tell people where to find you. Weber Grill Academy Mm. is an actual place where you are and where people can go. And I didn't realize this. They can go and they can do classes, like beginner level. Um, They can, if they're more advanced, learn about smoking. Uh, They can do couples classes. It might be a fun, like, group event. So this is something that you do.
2: You've taken the words right out of my mouth.
1: I've just pretty much summed it up.
2: You're well researched. <laughs> I am. I am very impressed. So, and yeah, yeah, okay. So if somebody wanted to find me, mm-hmm. they would be able to go to uh, Vaughan, right, north of Toronto here, and uh, they would be able to come to a, a place where ooh, like-minded grillers come uh, to be surrounded by each other in a, a wonderland of indoor grilling. So we bring. This is
1: the only place where you should grill indoors. <laughs> that's right. And Not we at your house.
2: And I we spent countless hours last winter and spring and then in summer we went through construction and mm-hmm. we built that place where everybody can congregate and learn how to maybe become a better griller even the most timid of griller could mm-hmm. come there and feel empowered and okay. so i will be conducting classes you just took uh the words right out of my mouth in regards to the couples class that we have coming up at the end of february we we anticipate that being really exciting where uh people are together in that that sort of lovely month of (laughs) lovely bliss and they are grilling together um and so that's that's you know that's a smattering we'll have again the beginner the advanced the smoking class and i imagine we're going to have quite a group of people in that class i imagine we'll see some pit masters and what i mean by everybody coming together and maybe learning from one another is that everybody has ideas when it comes to grilling and smoking foods i'm sure i'll learn a few things too
1: All right. Well, WeberGrillAcademy.ca is where you can go to find out more and uh, maybe learn some of the great tips from Michael P. Clive. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you. After the break, we'll find out more about the inspiration and the Canadian connection behind Winnie the Pooh.
0: You're listening to the all-new Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.
1: Welcome back to the show. Just a quick reminder that you can always catch uh, podcasts of the show online. You can find it in the iTunes store. Also on my website, paychen.com. I usually uh, get all the shows up there the very next day. Now, there aren't a lot of I guess, happy stories that come to mind when you think of the start of the First World War back in 1914. But a spontaneous decision by a Canadian soldier at the beginning of the war has had a lasting impact on people around the world. Now, what we know as Winnie the Pooh was actually inspired by a real bear cub, purchased by Harry Colburn, who was a Canadian veterinarian and soldier. And Harry's great-granddaughter, Lindsay Matic is on uh, the phone right now. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Peg. Now, this is quite a story. I'm, I'm sure one that you've told many times. But um, knowing that this lovable bear that we know from storybooks and cartoons was actually inspired by a real bear cub that your your great-grandfather purchased on a whim is really cool because it's, you know, it's something that a lot of families and children enjoy just as this fictional character, but it's really nice to know that there's this Canadian connection.
3: Absolutely. It's a story that I think I've been, you know, telling people ever since I was a little kid, and uh, there's always a real delight when people realize that, the world's probably the world's most famous uh, fictional bear actually had an equally inspiring true story uh, behind it
1: so let's talk about uh where it all started. so your great grandfather was actually a veterinarian
3: he was he emigrated from Britain to Canada when he was about eighteen. He went to veterinary college uh, out in Guelph. And while he, uh, after he graduated, he moved to Winnipeg and enlisted when the First World War broke out to look after the cavalry units, um, and then and then headed headed on his way out to White River, and that's where he basically got off a train station when he was uh, en route to Valcartier, Quebec, and there was a trapper there that had killed a, a mother bear and was selling the cub, and my great grandfather. I think realized that that bear would probably, the bear cub would not have a bright future if he didn't rescue her. So he bought her for twenty dollars, which was quite a bit of money back in 1914, about five hundred dollars, and he took her to Valcartier, where he, uh, she trained with the other, uh, with his fellow soldiers, and then when they had to go across, uh, across the Atlantic, and over to England, um, he took her. And while they were in England, she spent about four months on the Salisbury Plain with him, and she became quite a, you know, beloved mascot of his regiment at that point. And when they realized they had to go to the front lines in France, and he knew it would be dangerous for her, it was then that he took her to the London Zoo.
1: So uh, just uh to let listeners know who have just tuned in, I'm talking to the great-granddaughter of the uh, Canadian veterinarian and soldier who bought a the bear cub that went on to be the inspiration for the characters that we've known as Winnie the Pooh and uh, the books and stories that have been inspired from this bear. And I I think it was just sort of being in the right place at the right time for this poor little bear cub because it just sounds so strange, I think, in today's, um, in our lives now to think that I just got off a train station and there is a man selling a bear cub. Like, it's something that's sort of... Exactly.
3: It's one of the parts of the story that has always been kind of fascinating to me is here he is, he's in his early 20s, he's headed off to war, he has no idea what war is going to really involve, and he decides to, uh, you know, buy a bear cub on uh, And it wasn't so. cheap.
1: I mean, it, it was $20 no. at the time, and like you said, I mean, that's a f- if you were to do the conversion, of you know, it's a few hundred dollars, so that's not like, you know, flipping somebody a toonie.
3: No, exactly, exactly. It, uh, I don't know, it must have been sort of a a moment in time where he just realized it was the right thing to do. So and then I mean, this... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, the other part, I think, too, that's kind of amazing in, in sort of 2014 standards is that when he did take her to the London Zoo and A. Milne and his son, Christopher Robin, uh, went as visitors, uh, children were... She was so friendly that they let children inside her cage. Oh, to my play God. With her. So if you can possibly imagine, I mean, that's part of why she obviously became such a popular and loved bear but you know things that would would never happen a hundred years later
1: things yeah I, I guess you know you live and learn right and so, but uh, the fact that she was so um i guess familiar with with humans and so comfortable uh like it's it is kind of shocking to think that people would just open up the the gate and go go ahead go in and, and play with <laughs> go in and play with that bear so yeah. that's the other part uh, i guess of the story is um how this bear Winnie, you know, named after Winnipeg, mm-hmm. um, where your great-grandfather lived, uh, went on to become such a great storybook character. So you just touched a little bit on Christopher Robin, who is the, I guess, fictional character, but also a real-life uh, life little boy who uh, was very enamored by this bear.
3: Exactly. He Probably uh, Winnie's most famous visitor, A.A. Milne and his son, Christopher Robin, would go to the zoo, all the time and Christopher Robin really um, loved Winnie uh, because she was so friendly and she had such an exceptional nature and when he he had a series of stuffed animals, one of which was a bear that was called Edward and I think because of his affection for Winnie he renamed his bear (laughs) uh, Winnie, Winnie the Pooh and that's where his dad took uh, inspiration for his character's name.
1: And then the rest is history, I guess. Exactly. Just, the rest um, is
3: definitely history.
1: So let's talk a bit about this exhibit that's at Ryerson, and it's free for people to go check it out. Tell me what's down there.
3: It is. So it just opened last week, um, mm-hmm. and basically there's there's amazing photographs that have been in my family for 100 years, great photographs of Harry uh, with Winnie, training Winnie, with uh, Winnie with the entire regiment, Winnie with other soldiers, there's also my great grandfather's uh, diaries, which are—it's uh, pretty amazing to read some of those entries. Literally, he documented August the twenty-fourth, nineteen fourteen, bought bear twenty dollars. Uh, December the ninth, nineteen fourteen, took Winnie to London Zoo. Uh, so the diaries are there. His uh, veterinary uh, kit from the period mm-hmm. is also there. There's a wonderful um, exhibition online that Ryerson has put together as well. People can check it out at uh, therealwinnie.ryerson.ca, and on that website, all the entire family archive is digitized. There's a wonderful interactive site where people can get familiar with this story. They can actually see interviews with someone who would talk about what would you do to train a bear, mm-hmm. what was the role of horses in World War One. So they've done a really amazing job, and I definitely encourage people to, Check it out. If this piece of history is uh, is uh, makes you as curious as it has certainly made me throughout my life,
1: and it's so amazing that you know we are um, I guess marking the 100th anniversary of um, the start of the First World War, and, and so all, and that being sort of the anniversary of celebrating I guess this famous bear. Uh, I know that you were recently on a trip to the UK. Is that correct?
3: That is, I uh, had the opportunity to go with the National Art Center. Did. They brought the National Orchestra on a tour of the U.K. to commemorate the outbreak of World War I. And it was an incredible experience. So I had the opportunity to, um, I mean, first of all, take in these incredible performances by our National Orchestra, but also to talk to people in the U.K. about my family story. I had the opportunity to visit the London Zoo where there's a statue of Harry and Winnie. I had the opportunity to go to one of the concerts was in the Sal- Salisbury Cathedral, So I actually got to visit Salisbury for the first time where my great-grandfather Spent about four months training before heading to the front lines in France. So it was a really incredible opportunity for me to quite literally retrace his steps.
1: Yeah, I bet. Well, that sounds amazing. And uh, I think it's so great that this exhibit is going on right now. So it's at Ryerson University, and it's where people can go and uh, take a look at a lot of the photos that have been in your family and uh, the diaries and letters, but also online as well. So the website, therealwinnie.ryerson.ca, right? Right. Perfect. You okay. got it. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Lindsay. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me on. Take That's care.
1: Lindsay Matic. She's the uh, great-granddaughter of Harry Colburn, who's the Canadian veterinarian and soldier who uh, just happened to buy a bear cub uh, on his way uh, over to Europe to um, enlist in the war. And uh, I guess the rest really is quite uh, an amazing and uh, memorable story for a lot of people. Uh, coming up after the break, some tips and uh, ideas for hosting your holiday get-together. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010.
0: This is the all-new Pei Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010.
1: Well, like it or not, the holidays aren't too far away, and you might find yourself hosting a dinner party, maybe having some people over for cocktails. It might be planned or spontaneous. Uh, or maybe you're just getting all your favourite people together to really celebrate. But what should you serve, and how do you make your party the one that people remember in a good way? Because there's always those ones that you remember in the not-so-great way. So I've got Cupcake Vineyards winemaker Jessica Tomei here to uh to make everything a little bit easier. Now you've got quite a catchy name there. What are cupcake wines?
4: Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um we cupcake vineyards, we're based in California, but we're we're actually a globally grown um brand as well. So we have, I know in Ontario we have our Chardonnay, our Cabernet Sauvignon, and our Red Velvet, which are all from California. Mm-hmm. And then I was just there uh, last week, and we are launching our Sauvignon Blanc from the Marlborough region in New Zealand. Oh, that's great! Um, so, yeah. now, how did you come up with a name? Because it's it's definitely memorable. Yeah, uh, Cupcake Vineyards was uh, um, established in two thousand eight, and it was right around the same time where the cupcake craze was going on. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, oh, yes. <laughs> The, the whole idea behind cupcakes is that it's an approachable and authentic um, style of, of wine. So we're being true to the varietal, um, and we want to make it so that, it, that it's you know easy to drink, easy to say. So cupcake vineyards is easy to to say, it's easy mm-hmm. to remember. And it really like invokes that it, the idea is to invoke that sense of joy and and individual delightment that you well, that you get from cupcakes as well as from from the wine.
1: It's something that uh, you know when you say cupcake, you just kind of naturally smile because it's something great. So it's nice, you know, to have like cupcake wines. Um, so you exactly. being, you know, you knowing a lot about wines, let's let's talk a little bit about the holiday season. And uh, I think most people usually offer a red and a white because you never know which one your guest might prefer. So now what do you suggest in terms of um, pairing and what goes well with what?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good idea to have both. Um, so I, I, both our Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, um, which are available uh, in, in Canada are, are pretty versatile wines. Like they're, they're really well balanced and, and definitely food wine. So the Sauvignon Blanc I would pair um, towards the holiday season. It, it goes really well with the shellfish, um, seafood, but also salads and green, mm-hmm. um, you know, mixed greens. And then uh, our, you know, our Cabernet pairs really well with, um, with you know, the meat dishes with bar- with barbecued or grilled meat. Um and but the red velvet's really fun to pair also. We um one of the things we've been pairing it with is like a deconstructed uh BLT. Oh nice. So just like you know, something like finger food that you could easily put out and and um and and pair with the with the red velvet.
1: And more of a like a sort of a comfort food, a bit less fussy as well.
4: Yeah, definitely. You could you could prepare it beforehand so that you can enjoy the party as well, so you're not um, you know, so you're not cooking or having to to do things while your guests are 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 there.
1: So, in your so opinion, uh, so in your opinion, what makes a good party host or hostess?
4: Um, well, I I think that um, well, that's a good question. Yeah, well, I just figured you know because you're talking about like having
1: the the wines and you know having them you know you want them I guess at the right temperature, having a, a nice drink available for people who who want it, having some food ready. Um, and, uh, you know, so and I know that on your website, you've got lots of great recipes as well.
4: Right. And I think just I mean, if you're you're hosting a party, your guests are there to, to really be with you. Mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's important to be prepared so that you can actually spend time with, with your friends and family when, when they're over. So, you know, just putting out like, um, I think it's a good idea for white wine to, well, first of all, to set up your glassware. Um, so it's easy, you know, it's easy to get so that you can offer a glass of wine when your guests walk in the door and then just having the, the white wine out you can put it into like a, I, I use, um, little champagne buckets with ice and, um, to, to chill down the, 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 whites, but having them have them out so you don't have to go into the refrigerator all the time. Yeah. And then for the, for the reds, it's a good idea to like open them, you, you can open them before your guests get there so that it so that. They get some air, um, you could even decant them into like a pretty um decanter so that um, it's easy for you to also you don't know, have to spend time opening opening the bottle over and over again while you're serving the serving your guests
1: so the little things that will save you a little bit of time and just help the evening run a bit smoother because like you said, you know when you're having people over you you want time to spend with them. you don't want to be the one fussing over everything and being in the kitchen. Um, all great ideas. Thank you so much for your time, Jessica. And uh, if people want to check out your website, it's cupcakevineyards.com. Well, I hope you have a great Thanks. holiday season.
4: <laughs> you too, thank you. Thanks, for Jessica.
1: That's Jessica Tamay from Cupcake Wines. And someone fancy just walked into the studio, that would be, oh no, it's wrong, it's Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say,
0: you've never described me as that. No. I'll what's, take it.
1: Uh, what's coming up on your show? Or do you just want to talk about other stuff?
0: Talk about other stuff. (laughs) The show's going to be good. Yeah? Yeah.
1: That's all you need to know, everyone. Uh, I found the story. I want to know what you think about this. There was a a guy having a business dinner in, let me just find, uh, oh, in New Jersey. Nope. Sorry. He was in Atlantic City. You haven't
0: researched this very well, have you?
1: I'm reading it and it's in very fine print. Mm. Uh, So he was out with 10 other people. They was were at 15? a Bobby Flay Steakhouse. Yeah. Uh, so it was like a mid-priced restaurant. Not, not too extravagant, but uh, whatever. I can see parts of the bill and, you know, some of their entrees were like New York strip, 45 bucks, $30 entree. So they're having a business dinner. And uh, he asked the waitress for a wine suggestion and he didn't have his glasses. He couldn't read. So... She's, she picked one out. She said, well, I suggest this one. It was a 2011 Screaming Eagle. That means nothing to me, but for anyone who knows wine, this might mean something. And he said, "I, uh, how much is it? And she said 3750 So the table agreed, yeah, 3750 That's a reasonable bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Let's get it. They get the bill. The wine was $3,750. <laughs> so he they he said they... All of them nearly had a heart attack, which I believe. Yeah. Um, because who normally spends $4,000 on a bottle of wine? So they they disputed it. They said, you know what? Absolutely. She was misleading. Yeah. Um, we asked for her suggestion. She picked this one out and she said 3750 Yeah. The restaurant, though, here's the thing. The restaurant said they did not make any mistake. It was his error in accepting... The suggestion, right? However, they did drop the price to twenty two hundred dollars. Forget it!
0: Not paying it! Not paying it! They
1: had to pay it.
0: I'd go to court about that. They, they, so uh, a th- in a court, I would be very surprised if that wouldn't stand up because, really, yeah, on account of the fact she didn't say the number correctly. The only way that it might not work in his favor is if the lawyers put a good case together with the fact that you should check everything on a menu, but who does that?
1: But so. But This is the thing. is The restaurant was like, sure, we'll lower the price to $2,200 yeah. oh, is that for all? Great. the bottle yeah. of wine. Nice. Thank you, Bobby Flay.
0: And the other travesty here is that they didn't even savor that wine. They probably no, downed they it. Didn't. There's probably one fellow at the table that didn't even have a glass. <laughs> How does he feel about his bill?
1: But you know what amazes me is I can understand the argument that, um, well, he, he okayed it. But I feel like no matter what, if you are working in a restaurant and you're about to suggest something, a menu item to someone that is of such a high price yeah. point, you would even if she said it's thirty-seven fifty, and he said, "Okay, you know, because I I don't have my glasses," yeah. I would say, "Are you sure, sir? This let's, is $3, Let's 000. do Exactly.
0: Let's do a role play right now. You be him, and I'll be the waitress. Um. Uh,
1: I I don't know anything about wine. Could you just suggest something for us? With Absolutely, $40 yeah. $40 steak?
0: There's um, a $40 steak, so obviously you're obviously going not want much more than a $100 bottle, are you? Um, we've got an American Eagle, whatever it's called, which I wouldn't dream of trying to sell you because it's nearly four thousand dollars, and that would be insanity. And despite the fact I want a tip, I'm not about to do a perverse, wrong course of action on you like that. So here's a reasonable Canadian from a Niagara region that I bought down the old wine rack for twenty bucks. <laughs> Mine paying forty. Cheers.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, anyway, they had to pay for it. I mean, it was kind of it's kind of a done deal. Basically, yeah. the story's out. It, it, they had to they had to cover it. In some way. Isn't that crazy? So imagine insane. going out and you're thinking maybe dinner will be, it's a business dinner. Maybe it's $100 per mm, person because your mm. entrees were less than $50 and you're going to share a few bottles. You're of a bit of, a, of wine.
0: a wineaholic, if that's not too disastrous nah, nah, it, a term. No, it doesn't sound right when I say that, does it? You enjoy wine a lot. It's a <laughs> much more polite way of putting it. Um, what's the most expensive bottle you have personally ever bought?
1: Well, it's different in a restaurant and at the LCBO because in a restaurant, it's like three times the price. Yeah. And I don't actually usually have more than a glass of wine when I'm out.
0: Okay. Did did, you, what would be your limit then on a on a glass of wine in a restaurant? Uh, Where would you say no I'm not doing that?
1: You know what I I I accidentally bought someone a $20 glass of wine. It was like a half a glass Ooh. because it was a friend of mine and she had a bad day at work and I said, "You know what? We're we're, we're out on a patio." I said, "I'll get you I'm going to get you a glass of wine. What do you want?" She said, "I'll just have a glass of the red whatever." And I don't know a lot about wine. And went up to the bartender and said, "Just a glass of of red, and then it was twenty dollars, and it was like half a glass. That was disappointing.
0: <laughs> Goodness knows what would have happened if you got the bill in uh, America. In America.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks for tuning in tonight, everyone. paychen.com is the website. You can also find the podcast there. Vinny White is here until ten. It's going to be a really good show. I won't tell you tonight. what's coming up, but
0: it's going to be really, really oh, that's a bit much. I it? It's going to be quite judge. good.
1: Okay, it's going to be. It'll be okay. It'll be possible. <laughs> Have a great night, everyone.